Welcome in to AWA Unleash. We are the preeminent, self-proclaimed number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs. As you see behind me, I'm in my den. It's half football, half wrestling. And because of the setup uh, this week, you're going to get the football. If you're a Vikings fan, great. If not, that's just, you know, tough titty said the kitty when the milk went dry. Okay, on to more important things. We have got wrestling to talk about this week, you guys. And I'm not even going to fudge around with everything. This is a Q&A. But the big announcement this week is that we have announced our very first After Dark show that's going to be taking place April 28th at the Croatian. Uh, the word on the street, the kids call it the Crow, according to what I've heard from a Polish show. Calls it the Crow. Now you know. And uh, just kind of tell us more about the uh, the After Dark ditty that we got coming up, guys, because it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It is, and we couldn't have a better guest. Uh, a guy that tells it like it was in the AWA, doesn't hold back. He's not worried about offending anybody. Uh, and that's Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. And Jim, of course, was uh, a key part of the AWA for a long, long time, along with Greg Gagne. There's Jumpin' Jimmy and uh, the guy who never ages, which really pisses me off. But nonetheless. Yeah, yeah that, that, that picture was actually taken a week ago, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah it was. It, uh, <laughs> amazing. Just just amazing. Uh, but Jumpin' Jim will be there to answer your questions about the AWA, and he will do it with a little panache and style. And we're going to answer some questions if you have questions for us. We got pizza. We got drink. We got raffles. We got everything. And uh, Joe, that's your home. They have the Joe Chupik wing, I understand, at the Croatian Hall. Dude, he's like Norm. I, I was there with him. He's like Norm. Like, everybody knows him. It's like, Joe. I'm like, my God. It's Yeah, it's like we've got our own version of Cheers with here. So for this... For this After Dark, this will be the very first time I've ever stepped foot into the crow. <laughs> All of those people that were there, they just know me from seeing me outside. So they were just surprised. But officially, that will be my very first time in the Croatian <laughs> Hall, an old school town, an old school building talking about yeah. old school wrestling. And I, I, I'm looking forward to it. Jim has got some great stories. Uh, Mick, I know you and I have got some that, uh, you know, are just sort of left off air, shall we say. And it's going to be a fun night. If you haven't already, run, don't walk. Get your tickets to AWA Unleashed After Dark at the Crow in South St. Paul, Friday. And, and you, having stepped foot in there for the first time, allegedly, what are you going to tell me next? Jerry Blackwell actually weighed 104 pounds, or what's what's the next uh, bullshit? He was That's 217 pounds. I thought that was Buddy Rose, a lean, mean 217. Yeah, there well, you go. Buddy weighed more than Jerry Blackwell, oh, and sure. I've never been to the Crow. You know, a lot of things, it's upside-down world day. Yes, wow. but uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of fun again. AWA Unleashed podcast.com that's the website you can get the information you get tickets and again we got a ton of stuff going on you guys it's going to be a hell of a good time soda stick's going to be there selling some gear uh jim brunzel's going to be there again you know taking pictures 
autographs, everything. 7th Avenue Pizza is going to be there. By the way, a VIP table. Uh, if you want it, it's an eight-person VIP table. Uh, the uh, ticket information is 300 a pop for, for eight people at a table. But you get a front-row seat. You get drinks. You get pizza. You get a goodie bag. You get pretty much anything that everybody else doesn't. So there's a reason why you can give a, a, a VIP. So I, I think are we good? Solid. All right, let's uh, go ahead and get to our uh, no DQ and A today here, guys, because uh, we're answering your questions once again. And uh, this one is for you, Joe, right off the bat from Vicky Olson. When you were producing TV, who did you have the most difficulty with when doing a promo? Um, wow. You know, if I'm being honest, I, I never had any problem or difficulty with any of the wrestlers. But if I, well, you asked the question, Vicky, so I need to answer it. I'm going to answer it with Vern Gagne. And here's why. Not that Vern's, you know, that, that he, he was difficult to get a promo out of or whatever, but Vern was the boss and he was a perfectionist. And as my time with the AWA went on, looking back in hindsight, uh, there was just a lot of stress and a lot of pressure building up on Vernon. So he, it's like he felt that pressure when we were doing interview day as he was standing in the back and watching the promos go. Um, he got more and more particular, more and more frustrated. Um, the, 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 the quality of talent wasn't what he was used to in the early 80s as it was in the mid-80s. Not saying they were horrible, but it wasn't the same as Vern was used to over all of the years. So I, Vern, for interviews, the most difficult. Um, is, I, I got to add in there the most challenging talent would have been his daughter, Donna, a sweet gal. But when we did ringside rumors, uh, we often got into double-digit takes uh, to get those segments done. Uh, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Is that a story we could tell after dark? Um, I, I mean, I could get into it more. There's nothing salacious about it. But, yeah, um, I, I, I'll expand on that when we get into the after dark. Good okay. call, Chris. All right. Good. Well, now, because I want to know, and when you put the word salacious out there, that's that's a big word that I don't understand, but it sounds really good. <laughs> so I'm going to have to make sure that, yeah, you tell us any salacious stories. Um, I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me when you talk about it like that, because, I mean, I can only imagine that, like, the pressure that Vern was feeling at that time, Joe, like, he kind of, he saw the end of the road. But there was nothing he could do to avoid it. You're, you're right. Um, even though he may have seen the end of the road coming, Vern, he rolled up that shoulder more times than not. Uh, argument could be made that maybe he should have given up a little bit earlier, but that wasn't in Vern's nature. Uh, throw in the fact that he was dealing with his property on Lake Minnetonka, that yeah, record, he got hosed on royally on that deal, on that incredible estate that he had on, on Lake Minnetinki, 
as Crusher would call it. Uh, so, yeah, I, and the difficulty with doing a promo, again, it's not, Vern, Vern did fine, but just overseeing it, that's my answer. Um, he, he created issues uh, or, or stresses for a lot of the talent uh, in the later years. All right, let's go to, to you, Mick, from Scott Lee. He's a longtime fan and remembers back to when Eddie Sharkey was challenging Danny Hodge for the light heavyweight title. Why was he never given a run with the championship? <laughs> no, it's, it's very interesting. And again, you've got a totally different era in professional wrestling where uh, a champion, especially a, a guy like Danny Hodge, who was a universally recognized champion, would come into a town maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, and he was a special attraction. Uh, there's Danny right there, one of the greatest wrestlers who ever lived. Uh, no question about it. And uh, Eddie Sharkey was a local hero. People loved Eddie, and they elevated Eddie to status. They called it the AWA Junior Heavyweight Championship uh, at the time. And you would have thought they would have given Eddie at least a one-shot run with the championship. Uh, there's Eddie right there. Look at him. I'm, I'm telling you, if that guy doesn't have 1950s rock and roll band written all over him. Uh, Eddie was a great talent. Danny Hodge, you know, who has sadly passed, actually said Eddie was one of the greatest, most underrated workers he had ever been in the ring with. And that is that is high compliments uh, coming from Danny Hodge. But they just decided Eddie would be doing the chasing. Uh, Danny Hodge would be uh, the champion and not give it up, probably because of his schedule, couldn't get back for a rematch. But it was a great series of matches with Eddie and Danny Hodge. Eddie was really over here, by the way, uh, in the 1960s. I got to tell you, he was tremendously popular. Mick, do you think that he was too over and Vern felt threatened at all? I don't think so, Joe. I think it was this was more a matter of Danny Hodge's schedule. Uh, and Danny was actually the NWA uh, light heavyweight champion, junior heavyweight, whatever. And, you know, he was just coming in, you know, to do, do a favor for Vern, pop the crowd a little bit, and then move on. And Eddie was always competitive in the matches. Danny made him look like a million bucks. So it was a win-win. You know, it might be part of another podcast, but I was, I guess I'm referring more towards overall Eddie not getting the push. Do you think Vern felt threatened by that? I mean, Eddie was a good-looking uh, solid guy. I know that there's heat. There's been heat between the Ganyas and Eddie for decades. I don't think going back that far, uh, the jealousy issue with Vern had reared its ugly head yet. I think that probably started when Billy Robinson came to town. Uh, guys like Billy Robinson and Edouard Carpentier, kind of late 60s, early 70s guys, when they were really getting over and the AWA television was going mainstream all over the country, then I think Vern started to feel the hot breath on his neck a little bit. I don't think so much with Eddie. Okay. All right. The, uh, the next one's from me guys. Uh, it's from Ross, the boss. Who is yeah, Ross, the boss. I hope that's not Ross Geller from friends. You know what? Maybe it is Ross Geller from friends. If David Schwimmer listens to the podcast, I'd be, Get awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, who is your favorite 
your least favorite AWA wrestler of all time and why? I, I got to be honest. You know, I started watching again. I, I started watching when the AWA was kind of in its downswing. And I know there was a really popular tag team and a popular wrestler, but I didn't like, I didn't like the trooper oh, and that's wow. Del Wilkes. And I, I don't know if I just felt like it was the police officer and it was like this, you know, boss, you know, authoritarian sort of, of individual. But I, I like the, the DJ Peterson, you know, trooper thing. I just, I never got behind Del Wilkes, the, the trooper. And I know he had most of his success as, you know, the Patriot WWF in the you know mid to late nineties when he was doing the U S versus Canadian thing. But I, I just, I never got it. I knew that a lot of people liked him, but I never, I never got behind the trooper. And I, I don't know why. I mean, I know nothing about, you know, like Del Wicks, the, you know, Del Wicks, the person at the time. Like, I, I don't know. I just didn't like the trooper. I didn't like a, a cop gimmick. And I just thought it was bad. That That is really interesting. I mean, of all the people that, you know, you could have come up with, I was really surprised uh, by that. And if I remember correctly, didn't Del Wilkes like write out a ticket for somebody after he beat him? And like, like, put the ticket on his head, or that's kind of a heelish move. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and, and I, yeah, and I can't remember. I mean, it didn't traumatize me quite like the uh, Texas Hangman did, but yeah, it just it never it never clicked with me. And I mean, maybe he was supposed to be the good guy. We're supposed to cheer for the you know the guy keeping the law and order. It never it never vibed with me, man. It never vibed with me. And wow, it was just I, I don't. I don't know why. It was like 14, 15 at the time. I mean, you don't know why you like and don't like what you like at that time in your life. Great answer. I mean, came out of came out of the blue, and uh, and I like it. That's why I like these Q&As. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to argue your opinion. I don't agree with that, but it was a question directed towards you. It's your opinion. You have the right to it. I personally enjoyed the Trooper gimmick. Del Wilkes was great to work with, very polite. Uh, very nice guy. Um, I that wouldn't have been my answer, mm -hmm. but it wasn't asked of me. Next time, I'll I'll write up a question for you and ask you your least favorite wrestler next time, Joe. Hang on a minute. The cat is making a personal appearance here. Just want to make sure. No, I'm no, no. Hold on. Full screen. Full screen. Full screen. Full screen uh, for Mick. There she is. It's like, you know what it is? It's like Jaws when you see the shark underneath the water. <laughs> and I feel like that's the dorsal fin. Mackenzie, kitty, 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 kitty. Oh, oh. don't start. Don't start. Kitty, don't, kitty, 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 kitty. No, 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 no. Okay. All right. I won't. Uh, I'll stop next calling question. for you, kitty there, Mick. Yes. Next one. Uh, this is for, uh, speaking of the uh, hangman from our friend, Mike Moran. Ah. Uh, yeah, back in the day when some of us were with the AWA, Vern had help with the booking from guys like Wahoo, Chris Love, et cetera. Going back to the 70s, who were Vern's assistant bookers? I assume that at some point Nick was involved. As I recall, it was Vern and Wall. <laughs> I'm looking at that cat. It was Vern and Wally. And uh, they were pretty much in, although I think Al Darusha uh, probably had a little bit of say in it because, you know, Al and Roger Kent would promote those uh, outstate shows, those small shows. And I, I, would almost guess 
that uh, going into those events, they would kind of give the boys their instructions. Uh, I, as far as Nick is concerned, I'm sure I have no question that Nick was involved in the booking or at least had a say in it uh, all those years that he was here. And Vern trusted him explicitly. Uh, he didn't trust too many. And Nick was one of them. And uh, But going back to the 70s, all I heard was Vern and Wally. And a lot of times they butted heads. And uh, I can tell you, one time at the Dykeman Hotel, I got off the elevator and I heard Wally Carbo all the way down the hall in 605 Dykeman Hotel saying, fuck it, Vern, that's a horrible idea. <laughs> so I... <laughs> I do have a uh, I, I do have a feeling that that was the hierarchy in the AWA back in the seventies. Uh, by the time Mike Moran got to the AWA, yes, uh, it was Chris Love, it was Wahoo, it was Jack Lance, it was Ray Stevens. So, uh, but uh, but Vernon Wally, the the two headlights coming at you, uh, that was the hierarchy in the nineteen seventies. You are correct. All right, uh, this one is for you, Mick, as well from Doug Frazee. Back in the late 70s, when Bobby Heenan, Lord Alfred, and the Super Destroyers Mark II and III were feuding, who did the fans cheer for, and how was that feud resolved? They cheered. Well, they were all heels uh, at the time. And you remember it was Bobby Heenan and Lord Alfred Hayes and, you know, Mark II and Mark III. Um, Mark III and Lord Alfred Hayes actually turned babyface. And uh, there they are. That is uh, Sergeant Slaughter to Lord Al to our upper left, and that's uh, Neil Gway to the right. The Super Destroyers. Don Jardine had already left town, um, but Lord Alfred Hayes became a babyface, and of course, so did Mark III. They kind of split from the from the other group. It it ended with Lord Alfred Hayes actually losing a loser leaves town match. To Bobby Heenan, which was really surprising back in the day, but Bobby was going nowhere. Lord Alfred was uh, going to continue on on his journey in the wrestling world, but uh, the end of the match, you know, it was some kind of a screw job finish, and Lord Alfred uh, took the loss, and to the center of the ring, he took the microphone and he waved to everybody and he said au revoir, and that was it uh, for Lord Alfred Hayes in the AWA. There you go. All right, uh, let's go to the next one here. This is for uh, all of us uh, from uh, Gene uh, Boulot. Hopefully I said that right, Gene. Uh, what do you guys miss most from the AWA era that's lacking or has changed in today's wrestling? Uh, I'll let you guys go ahead and go first. Uh, why don't you uh, take first up here, Joe? What do I miss most about the AWA era? I think it was that it was presented as more of a sport and uh, provided a little bit more believability, not only in the ring, but in the promos that the guys cut. Back in the day, they didn't have a three to ten minute scripted in-ring interview. Absolutely. They just had the ability to... You know, guys like the Crusher, Bobby and Nick, they were given some bullet points. They went out there and from just sheerly having an incredible talent, mm -hmm. they could deliver the promo. And it was the same, you know, 
I, I get the whole one, two, three kickout thing, yeah. but it happens. Uh, it feels like it happens every single match. And when when you uh, get something delivered to you time and time again, it gets boring. Um, it, I mean, it, if you're married to a supermodel, you know, eventually, yeah, she's still gorgeous, but it just becomes your your wife or your girlfriend at that time. Um, it just doesn't have the same excitement and today's wrestling it just it's high spot after high spot they do an in-ring promo and yeah some of the guys are talented and they can do it you know you look at the stone cold or the rock i know it's you know a few years back here but they could go out there and deliver a long extended promo but I get bored with them after a while. Just get to the point. I mean, deliver the, you know, the 90-second, three-minute promo, yeah. whatever you need to do, and let's get back to the wrestling part of it. Um, that's what I miss about the AWA era times. I would absolutely agree with that. That would have been my first point. The, the scripted promos of today, especially the ones that go on 20 minutes, half hour, are just ridiculous. Uh, we've talked about this before back in our, certainly in my era, a guy like Mad Dog Vachon or Crusher would go out there and he knew he was promoting a show in Rockford, Illinois, you know, Crusher's going to wrestle so-and-so Crusher. This is your bullet point. Go out there two minutes. Boom. And it was, it, it had more impact than a half hour promo does today. Uh, the other thing that I would say that I miss is when a running, and I've talked about this before. When there's a run-in, a surprise run-in at a wrestling show, where in the hell does the wrestler's theme music and his pyro and everything else magically appear when this guy is doing a surprise run-in? Well, first of all, the surprise is dead because you've given the guy in the ring 30 seconds of your intro music before you ever get there. Secondly, what do they got? They got a computer chip in the, you know, built in someplace where once they get past the curtain, you know, all this, their theme music plays. Um, it's like a trigger wire. Oh my God. It, it, it's just, we could go on and on and on about what we missed from, from the day, but I would agree with Joe that scripted promos uh, as opposed to the, you know, off the cuff promos from back in the day, absolutely no comparison. Uh, let me piggyback off of that and, and by saying I, I feel like it was a lot more organic back then. Everything yeah. oh. today seems to be cookie cutter. Same sort of talent, same sort of promo. The, the, the show is formatted the same way. Like you see everything is in its place and it's blocked out as, you know, as they would say to use that lingo. To me, yeah, nothing seems different right i mean you had different characters that had different skill sets that were different people all of these characters today the wrestlers they all have some common thread and i want people that are different i want jerry blackwell to be different than billy robinson you know i i, I want you know kurt Hedig to be different you know than and i i mean you know i don't know so it, it's just Everything seems to be the same. And yeah, it's to talk about the promos. I go back, I, I watch South Park and there's this episode of South Park where they're talking about, you know, we're great wrestlers. It's all about the theatrics in the, in the promos. There's not any actually wrestling. 
And then it's like, oh, you're a great wrestler. Well, it's these fabricated baloney stories that sometimes the outrageousness is fun. But yeah, it just seems to be the same old thing over and over. And there's there's no organic. It's not like you kind of go back to you, Joe. It's not presented as real. Like, give me give me something I can sink my teeth in and, and believe. Well, and one other thing I'd, I'd like to add to it is I miss having a stick person or an interviewer, a Wally Carbo, a Mean Gene Okerlund, a, 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 a Ken Resnick, Larry Nelson, hell, yeah. probably even a Mick Karch. Uh, so I didn't mean to uh, have you spill up your coffee, Mick, but the timing was perfect, by the way. Thank Thanks. you. God. But I, but I miss that that interaction, having that, you know, the, the straight man of a of a, a me or a, a Marty O'Neill, the the mm-hmm. character yeah. of a mean Gene Okerlund, to, to have that interaction and interviews, they were a max of two and a half minutes for the for the guys, you know, for the Mad Dogs Crusher. In and out, in and out. They're, yeah, they're two and a half minutes, and we got down to. Uh, to 90 seconds for some of the talent in the later AWA shows. There's only 90 seconds that you had a, a promo to do. And really it was less than 60 seconds by the time you had the setup and then the end tag. Um, and so it, it, I get bored with the interviews today because you just, for the talent that can't truly carry it, I mean, I'll watch some and I can I can just see the wheels turning in their head. It's like, oh, what's my next line? What's my next line? Rather than, okay, I've got to cover the bar. I've got to cover the event date. and I've got to cover my opponent. And then yeah. they would take it from there. Most of the guys, most of the talent in the old school days of the AWA had the ability to be entertaining in a promo, much like Mick's Cat. And it, it just, it, it, it was just a different feel. I, you know, Vince changed it from pro wrestling to sports entertainment. It's, yeah, it's gotten more entertainment for me than sport. Yeah. And, and by the way, did your cat have music? Because she did a great run in. That was the perfect example of the booking because I was not expecting the, the jump. It, it took me by surprise. And that's, that's, that's right. What I and, it, and in this day and age, they would have probably played a nine lives commercial before she came out. <laughs> so, you know, things have, have certainly changed, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. And let me add, before we go to the next question, I hate the backstage vignettes. I hate them. Uh, well, I, I like them when they're done right. I, I don't like it when there's that hidden camera and all of a sudden it's like, oh. I, I, I feel like if they're done right, though, they can have meaning, but it's like, I feel like that's technically, it's, it's all about how it's shot and presented. There you go. I, I would agree with that. All right. Okay. So, sorry. I didn't mean to step on. No, 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 no. All good. Okay. Now we're going to go from the old school to the new school here, guys. Uh, this is for you, Joe, from uh, Annie Walensky. You and Mick talk about how bad the taping at Whitewater was. Her, do- her daughter actually attended school there. And she was wondering if the production was so awful, why didn't Vern scratch the show? And how many matches were there, and did they make it to TV? Um, there would have been approximately 15 matches. Uh, why they aired. So it's not like, okay, you, you have a disastrous production. Um, it's not like you can snap your fingers and say, okay, let's do another TV taping at the next town. It takes 
time to get the production crew there to get everything promoted uh, for for the town and for the event. And typically, when we did a taping, we would go in and we would get three weeks worth of programming from the event. And it was oftentimes uh, we would have like a week. So you do a taping, you have three episodes. The next taping for the next series of shows would typically happen maybe after the second week of the previous taping that we had. So we didn't have a month to be able to have no programming for the show. And so we basically were stuck with putting Whitewater on the air. And maybe with today's technology, might have been able to fix some of the uh, disastrous lighting and everything. But we didn't have it back in, I've got it was Whitewater 86 mm -hmm. or 87, somewhere 80. in that time. <clears throat> um, the technology, at least with what I had to work with at Vern's, uh, we, it, it wasn't there to be able to fix it. And quite frankly, even with today's technology, it might have helped it, but we're just putting more lipstick and maybe a little blush on a really ugly pig. When did you know, Joe, that that this was going to be the the, the boondoggle that it was? Uh, before the the show even started, um, I, I could see the lighting um, issues. I could just the the crew wasn't uh, experienced. It was thrown together. Um, it might as well have been a first time high school production. Um, with the crew that we had there, there was just nothing right about that audio, um, um, the, 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 the camera work, the even something as simple as being able to close down the iris. We didn't even have camera control units in the truck. That was all done manually per camera. So uh, how, how, did, how did you guys try and fix it like on the fly? Like, I, I mean, what kind of steps did you try and do like during the course of the show to try? I mean, once you're in it, like wh what, what steps were you taking to try and, and elevate the, the taping? Well, so I'm in the truck. I believe Al Darusha was directing um, that one. Um, but, and it's, it, it was no fault of, of Al's. It was the inexperienced crew. We had stuff set up. We had the cameras adjusted for the iris. We had them white balanced. And then the show starts. And then we come to learn, okay, all of the lights weren't on. And so you get more lights when we're testing. So now that all of the lights are on, and again, the camera operators themselves had to manually adjust the iris. And when... The camera operators were inexperienced mm -hmm. for whatever reason. I don't know if Vern was trying, you know, didn't pay enough money, if the production company couldn't get enough crew. That part I don't know. But they just, they literally did not know what the hell they were doing in the truck. And it led to the most embarrassing, the most god-awful video production I've ever been involved with and i've been doing this for 38 years 
Okay. I I still want to do a watch along with Whitewater. If we can ever find that video, I would love to do a, a watch along. Oh no, I'm 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 dead serious. Hey, uh, for you, uh, for you, and by the way, if, if we don't get to some of your questions, we'll get to them next time we do it. I mean, we're going to do more Q and A's. So uh, this one is for you, Mick, from Al Bruce. Whatever happened to the Rock's legendary grandfather, the uh, High Chief Peter Maivea? Did he ever hold a title in the AWA? <clears throat> he did not. Um, he was a world traveler, and talk about a guy with a reputation as a tough guy. I mean, legitimately a tough guy. He, uh, I don't know if it was a James Bond. I know he appeared in, in some movies. Um, Peter Maivia, there he is, uh, the high chief. And, you know, part of that, uh, legitimately part of the bloodline, as they say. Uh, he was a world traveler, wrestled everywhere. In the AWA, he never won a title. I know he had a couple of matches with Nick Bockwinkel across, you know, across the country. Um, very talented guy, you know, very charismatic. The interesting thing about Peter Maivia is even when he went to the WWF, he never held a title there, and uh, which really surprised me. Uh, again, tremendously popular guy. What was sad about him is that he passed away at age 45. He was a young guy, and he passed away from cancer. And as the story goes... His family heard and recognized kind of the symptoms. Something's going on here. And he refused to go to the doctor, refused to go, refused to go. And by the time he finally went for a checkup, uh, it was it was too late. Uh, the cancer had advanced. So really a, a very, very tragic story. Uh, but uh, Peter Maivia, again, you know, the Rock's grandfather, and then you had... Uh, that whole bloodline right up in, until today and the legit Samoan bloodline. And one of those names in the AWA, kind of like a Joe LaDuke, you know, he had a pretty good run here, but no championships and uh, and, and certainly left an impression. But uh, 45 years old, I mean, you know, terrible, terrible. Well, way too young. Yeah, and you think about just the, the legacy and those of us that never – saw him but i mean you just you hear about him it's he's such a revered name now yeah. in, in in wrestling and you know even if it wasn't for uh you know his grandson i feel like he would still have that he'd still have that because of really like being a patriarch so you know what i mean it, it, it's like everything kind of falls off of him it, it's it really is amazing when you, you look at the legacy that he's left and, and, you know, the, the picture that we showed of, of uh, Peter, I know the last time I saw him wrestle in Minneapolis, this guy was covered from head to toe in tattoos. I mean, his entire body was, you know, one tattoo. Now, whether or not that contributed somehow, if it was a skin cancer-related thing, uh, I don't know. But, uh, again, uh, th there's, there's the real patriarch mm -hmm. uh, of the bloodline. Chief Peter Maivia. This one is uh, for all of us here from Jim Zellinger from Rockford, Illinois. Uh, he's a longtime AWA fan and old school through and through. He'd like to get the opinions of uh, all of us regarding the breaking of kayfabe. Um, uh, I'll let you go ahead and go, Mick, and then, uh, Joe, you can kind of chime in after Mick. Well, you know, I mean, it's you, can, you, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. 
Um, people, people have asked me, do you like wrestling now today with everything out there or did you prefer it when nobody knew what was going on? And I would say that of the two, there's a fine line. I think there's a balance. Uh, back in the day, you know, when, when Vince opened up because he wanted to save some tax money and the, you know, the cat started coming out of the bag a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden, you know, that might've been enough, but between the dirt sheets and the, the guys coming out and doing shoot interviews and everything else, I mean, there was nothing left to the imagination anymore. And I think that's the problem that I have with it in the modern era is that everybody is an expert and I'm not elevating us over the wrestling fans, but everybody on the internet is an expert. They know what's going to go on and all oh, this was a four-star match and a five-star. And if this guy would have followed the script and so, and to me that has completely destroyed the business. There's no emotional connection with any fan and wrestler. It's more the fan wants to be the, the closet booker at home, got to second guess everything. And so if you're going to break kayfabe a little bit, okay, I yeah, I get that. You know, times change, things would come out. But to the extent that it's at today, I, no, I, it's just nothing. I, I don't like it. I would compare kayfabe to, or the breaking of kayfabe uh, to Thanos from the Marvel movies. Uh, it was inevitable that kayfabe was going to be broke because of the internet. Yeah. Um, what what gets me about it though is the the detractors of professional wrestling will say, "Oh, it's all fake." Well. What the hell do you think a Tom Cruise movie is, or or John Wick's? You know, yeah, it, it is and always has been entertainment. The difference is that professional wrestling for decades did have kayfabe, and it kept that suspension of disbelief for us as fans watching it at home or in the arena. We yeah. didn't, I didn't, I mean, granted, I was a lot younger, you know, a, a young kid when I first started watching wrestling. And so you were able to have that suspension of disbelief. When kayfabe broke, um, it sort of just feels like wrestling kept going from the sport to, like I had said earlier, to just the sheer entertainment side of it. And watching it, it's very seldom that I get the sense that it's real. I, I mean, yeah. to, you know, it, it, it just it just doesn't have. And and I will grant it. I I will admit. Yeah, I'm a different age, and you know, you you don't look through the same set of eyes when you're now 57 versus when I was seven. Granted that that is the case, but the way that it's delivered today without kayfabe and leaving that debate for the dirt sheets, for the fans behind the scenes or whatever, um, that's where the breaking of kayfabe helped destroy 
the wrestling that I knew growing up. Uh, it just, I, I, I miss, I miss Kate. I, 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 I do. You know, it, it's interesting, and Chris, I don't want to uh, step on your toes here, but I, I remember several years ago at Cauliflower Alley Club, Pat Patterson was asked the question about the breaking of kayfabe, and Pat's take on it was, well, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, now we can converse with the fans and we can converse with our buddies in a bar and, you know, and, and not have to put on any pretense. And Nick Bockwinkle was sitting a, a few feet away, and Nick heard Pat say this, and he just shook his head. So, you know, it, it was two kinds of looking at the business. I come from an era, man, those road trips, the heels were on one side of the bar, mm -hmm. the baby faces were on the other side. And if you happen to nod at each other, passing in the hallway, that was about the extent of the interaction. So, again, like Joe said, it was inevitable because of the Internet. But, my God, it went from over here to way the shit over here. And that's what I don't like. Yeah, and, and I, I do think that, you know, maybe once Vince decided that he didn't want to pay those taxes because, you know, the, the sports commissions – and he called it entertainment, and that was the beginning of the floodgate. I, I don't, to me, I like the blurring of reality because you always kind of felt, well, maybe something wasn't on the up and up, but you just never knew. I like the cloudiness of it. And, and I do feel like the information that's available to people, it, it's both a positive and a negative. It's great that people can get more access to information, and, you know, there, there's more, you can learn more about things, which I love. But at the same time, you've got people out there that are talking about things in terms and ways that they don't have any idea what they're talking about. They're throwing around terms and phrases and saying things that don't make any logical sense. And I'm like, you're trying to be somebody that you're not. And I'm not ripping on fans. I'm, I, I mean, it's just... It's just you look at it and you're like, how the fuck can you think what you're thinking? And logically, like you're throwing around these things, you know, and, and just making shit up because you feel like you want to be in the know. I didn't want to be in the know when I was growing up. I enjoyed it. I don't want to be in the know. I am in the know, but I don't want to be in the know because that's half the fun. And, and, and that's that's part of my problem is like. The the people that talk about the information in an intelligent way, the people that don't get it, don't get that they don't get it. Just let me okay. let me say that. You well, know, I, we got a whole other show on this. Yeah, I, yeah, we I, we could do a whole hour just oh, yeah. on this topic. Yeah, we, so. we, and and we will. So yeah, all right. And uh, one more thing here, guys, before uh, we get to it, I know there's a uh, a question. We do have a few more questions. We're going to get to those. Uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit later on, I believe. Mick, are, are we going to uh, question twelve here from uh, Jeremy? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, this is for uh, all of us, and we got about you know ten minutes left on here before we uh, go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, for the group from Jeremy Chura, he watched a YouTube video where Eric Bischoff was being interviewed on a podcast and buried Greg Gagne. Is there any validity or sour grapes to this? Uh, he is interested in our thoughts. Oh boy! So why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead and go, Mick? Again, we got about uh, ten minutes between the three of us to uh, to wrap it up. I was not aware of this uh, 
Eric Bischoff podcast interview uh, regarding Greg Gagne. Um, and Jeremy actually brought it to my attention. I, you know, what do you say? We're looking at it from afar, and we have two completely divergent stories here. Uh, as to what went down in their relationship, what went down in the AWA, in WCW. Uh, I don't know who fired the first salvo here. I think it was probably Greg, uh, because Greg has been interviewed on occasion about, you know, Eric Bischoff and the AWA and uh, so on and so forth. And Greg has not exactly been complimentary, and he has told some stories about Eric Bischoff. And, uh, you know, about how he landed his position in WCW and, you know, their interaction uh, when Greg went down to uh, Atlanta. I, I from the outside looking in it, you know, it's ugly. And again, I hadn't seen the interview with Eric Bischoff, but Eric, Eric uh, was not necessarily talking facts and figures in his assessment of the situation. It was more kind of a character assassination of Greg Gagne. And whoever you believe, we're never going to know exactly what happened because you got, you know, the truth I'm sure is someplace in the middle. But uh, I was really intrigued when I saw this interview uh, with Bischoff. I did not know that he had that much animosity uh, towards Greg. Well, we could probably do a whole show on this one uh, as, as well. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's definitely heat between the two of them. I, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say that um, the competitiveness, the jealousy of what transpired um you know, on, on one hand, Greg is right about how Eric got a start into the business. But then on the other hand, Eric took the opportunity that he had and did what he ended up doing in professional wrestling, leading WCW and actually putting some fear into the WWF at the time. I mean, yeah, the, the Monday Night Wars uh, arguably the hottest couple of years in professional wrestling as it comes to television. There was finally somebody that could compete against Vince, not only compete and in many ways, I mean, he, he was beating them in the ratings for a while. Oh, sure, yeah. So, yeah. so, I mean, you know, the, there was some of that, again, jealousy, professional jealousy, if you will. Uh, I, you know, I, I might be taking the centrist road, but I, to be honest, I sort of see both sides, but what I don't agree with is the character assassination part of it. It's like, guys, you both did something that was really good in professional wrestling. Your personal dynamics, your professional approaches were vastly different. So be it. Mm -hmm. Everybody... You know, everybody has an opinion, as I've said forever, the easiest job in the world by far is to be a critic. You're never wrong. You're giving yeah. your opinion. And unfortunately, that opinion, that approach, that perspective has turned into 
the character assassination or to that podcast. Now, I did not see the podcast, but I don't really need to because I do just I know that there's backstage heat between the two of them. But I also know that if Mm -hmm. for whatever reason the opportunity arose, that they would work again. They, they, if, if if Eric Bischoff got to be in charge of the WWE down the road, I wouldn't be shocked or surprised at all if somehow Greg would would be involved if it made business sense. I'm not yeah. saying that it would, but that's hey, if Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan can work together time and time again after everything that's transpired over the years. Eric Bischoff and Greg Gagne could work together again. I want to ask Chris this question because, Chris, from your take, and we've talked about having guys on the show mm-hmm. that would be straight shooters, and and um, we wouldn't want to have to sit here and debate whether or not they were being honest and upfront with what they were saying on the air. Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong. Don't both Greg Gagne and Eric Bischoff, haven't they kind of established reputations in some of the shoot interviews that they've done where people raise an eyebrow and say, wait a minute, you know, you're not taking responsibility for this or you're not doing that. So you get this this shadow of doubt. And now you got two guys throwing stones at each other whose track record is not impeccable. I think that's the problem when you're talking about this whole situation is you can't look at Greg and say that everything that I've seen and that I've read and that I've heard is 100% accurate. Then you look at Eric and you can say, not everything that I've seen or read or heard is 100% accurate. So it muddies the water on both sides. And then you get into the middle of that. And like you said, Joe, there's, there's his side, there's his side. And then there's the truth. And I would, that's the thing about this podcast is that we try and be as honest as we can. We, we don't want people on here that are going to bullshit you. Like I, I don't want somebody to come on and tell me some nonsense stories when we can poke holes in it. And then you're trying to figure it out. If you don't have credibility, in my opinion, you don't have anything. Cause to me, that's the best ability in when it comes to this business is credibility. And I haven't seen the shoot interview. I know that it's been sent to me as well. Uh, I'm hoping to take a look at it, but I have not. I can't speak to it or their relationship. Uh, but I do know that sometimes you can look at what they both say and, and just kind of shake your head and shrug your shoulders. And go, well, you know, that's Eric being Eric or that's Greg being Craig. It's like and not really knowing them both personally. I've talked to Eric, you know, a few times I've interviewed him for other shows and He's never been anything but cordial to me. Never met Greg. I would love to meet Greg sometime and, you know, sit down and, and chit it up, uh, chit chat with him. But, you know, at, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I mean, we're in this business where it's everything sensationalized now. Everything's sensationalized. <laughs> you know, and, and again, um, if, if you got two guys whose track record has had people raising eyebrows and saying this guy's full of shit for several years and I'm not saying either one of them are, you know, mm-hmm. that, but, but that's the perception out there. I yes. know it is. Yeah. And that's not you saying it. That's no. just what's out there. No. And there is actual documentation of things that these guys have individually said 
that can easily be disproved, you know. So when you raise that shadow of doubt, when you raise that cloud, I don't know. I, yeah. I my, my mind is, is whirling here, and oh, my God, can you just imagine a podcast with the two of them on split screen where we actually debate the real issues. Mm. I am, well, I'm not saying that's ever going to happen because it probably won't logistically or whatever, but let's put it out there. Never say never. Wow. Okay. Well, fuck. I mean, you're putting all, all right. (laughs) All right. Let's uh, we got about five minutes to uh, to bring it home here, guys. Um, let's go ahead and give our shout outs and then uh, talk about the big event we've got again uh, coming up on April 28th. So, uh, Joe, I don't have your uh, shout out here on the sheet. So if you put it on, did you put it on the sheet? I did. Uh, oh, see, I just didn't copy it in here. Hold on. Uh, there it is. OK. All right. Well, uh, Mick, I'm going to let you go first while I copy Joe's onto the, the banner. The big teddy bear over there in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, James Vincent Brown, uh, who has wrestled here in the state of Minnesota uh, occasionally for Steel Domain Wrestling. He's also wrestled a lot for Frankie DeFalco in Bruce City Wrestling. Uh, James Vincent Brown loves this podcast. He's an old school diehard fan. He has a very special relationship with one of my favorite people on the planet, uh, Stacy Shadows. And uh, Big James, we love you, buddy, and uh, we will hook up again sometime down the road. <coughs> Excuse me. My shout-out goes to, let me just profit by saying this. So I've been a co-host on this podcast. Now I think this is like maybe the fourth month. And since I've done it, the the response from the fans in particular Um, when I'm working uh, uh, local wrestling shows at all, I've had fans come up to me and introduce themselves and and tell me how much they've enjoyed the podcast Mm -hmm. and and having me a part of it. And thank you. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for watching, for listening, for coming up to me and talking to me about it. I love talking about it my days with the AWA. Well, such an instance happened this past weekend. I was directing a wrestling show and I had a guy come up to me by the name of Scott Schmidt. Never met Scott before, but he loves professional wrestling. He loves the podcast. And for that, a thank you. Keep doing it. Scott, you are my shout out this week. Awesome. And uh, I'm going to go to uh, I'm going to go international with mine. I'm going to go to uh, Tom Halleck up in the peg, the home of my second favorite hockey team, the uh, Winnipeg Jets. He is at T-Bone 68 on Twitter, uh, watches us every week on the uh, the big screen in his home. I'm sorry about that. Uh, as they would say, uh, thoughts and prayers or something. Apparently, that's uh, apparently that's the thing. But. No, Tom, uh, we love you supporting us, man. And uh, yeah, Winnipeg was a big, big part of AWA history. And uh, Tom, this is for you, buddy. So uh, keep keep watching us up there in uh, in Winnipeg. I love oh, Winnipeg, he's a by great the way. Guy. I, lo- I, lo- I love Winnipeg. Winnipeg's a good city. Yep, you bet. It's not quite a whitewater Wisconsin, but it's a good city. 
The strip Eight? clubs, yeah, yeah, strip clubs oh. in Winnipeg are uh, off the hook. By the way. Oh, I'm I'm well aware of that. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Uh, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you've heard. Okay, <laughs> let's uh, talk again, uh, guys. We've got a couple minutes here. April twenty eighth. Give me the hard sell. Tell me why people should join us at the Crow, uh, which is at Joe Chupik's second home. First of all, <laughs> I don't know if it's second home or not. Um, it's first. Yeah. First of all, uh, first and foremost is jumping Jim Brunzel. And I've said again, I, one of my favorite guys ever in the business. And Jim doesn't hold back. He's an honest guy. He's very fan friendly, but he won't BS you. He'll tell you what happened in the AWA. Uh, Jumpin' Jimmy is a great, great guest, very amiable. Here's another thing. Nobody else is doing this stuff, folks. We are. We're doing AWA Unleashed After Dark. We're doing AWA Reunions. We're doing it, and we're doing it for you. We want to involve the wrestling community, the old-school fans. This is going to be a terrific event. Uh, Nick, you nailed it. Mick, you nailed it right on that. I think I called you Nick. Thinking you were boxing for a Nick, second. Nick, 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 you mailed it. Nick, you mailed it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. but, but you are correct. Jim is not going to hold back. He's already said, hey, whatever questions, that, that, that's fine. Let's roll with it. Jim's, you know, Jim's in his 70s now. What the hell does he have to lose? So there's going to be some stories told. We will take your questions, stuff that you may want to ask on this podcast. We may answer, but those mays will turn into we will Mm -hmm. answer your questions. So going to be fun, going to be interesting. Cue up the Marty O'Neill Run, Don't Walk. Get your tickets to Croatian Hall in South St. Paul Friday night. We're going to have about a one-hour pregame or a meet-and-greet with Jumpin' Jim Brunzel so you can get autographs with him, get pictures taken with him for, for a small fee. And then the action starts at, uh, at, at 8 p.m. We'll go for a couple of hours. And, you know, who knows? There might be some... You know, some just sort of side AWA videos playing. I mean, you, who, who knows what's going to transpire there. I'm looking forward to it. Um, been wanting to go to the Crow for years now, so it'll finally be my chance to to, to show up. And you know, I was gonna be, go ahead, Chris. Go uh, ahead. I was just going to say, we got about 90 seconds here, guys. So uh, go <laughs> ahead and go, Mick. No, that, that, that's fine. I was just going to say, you know, it's a two-hour uh, question and answer session. My guess is that, Chupik will probably last about 15 minutes into the Q&A. We'll hear this tremendous crash in the back of the room. And uh, Polish Joe will be looking at the ornate ceiling there at the Croatian Hall from a prone position early on. That's my guess. Was somebody going to potato me and, you know, hit me with a, a chair from behind? Why, why you would potato I... yourself just fine. Why would I be... Looking up at the ceiling after 15 minutes when this is going to be one of the most exciting events I've ever been a part of. See, now, here's here's the thing about Joe Chupik is you are going to see Polish Joe in his natural... In-